This episode of The Pitch is brought to you exclusively by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business, it's your life. And whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's where State Farm Small Business Insurance comes in. State Farm agents are small business owners themselves, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. When it comes to fantasy sports, some bettors just seem to have all the luck. At Thrive, we are focused on shifting the power paradigm to the masses and away from the elite. Today's founder, Adam Weinstein, was sick of losing on big daily fantasy sports platforms. So he started Thrive Fantasy. Adam says that unlike his competitors, his platform will give fantasy sports bettors a fighting chance to win big money. But are our investors ready to take a gamble on the underdog as it takes on the industry heavyweights? We're gonna find out. I'm Josh Muccio, and from Gimlet, this is The Pitch. Our investors today, Sarah Downey. Sarah used to run her own company. Now she's a partner at Accomplice and an angel investor making bets on early stage startups. Charles Hudson. Charles started Precursor Ventures, where he's invested 20 million in over 100 startups to date. Michael Hyatt. Michael built and sold two software companies for over $500 million. And now he invests for himself. Phil Nadell. As a serial entrepreneur, Phil built companies that sold for hundreds of millions. Now he manages one of the largest syndicates on AngelList. All right, here's the pitch. Hello, everybody. My name is Adam Weinstein. I'm the founder and CEO of Thrive Fantasy, the new daily fantasy sports app for prop bets. So back in 2012, when I recently graduated from UMass Amherst with a sport management degree, Daily Fantasy Sports was all the rave. Okay, before we go any further, maybe you know this already, but in case you don't, here's how Daily Fantasy Sports work. Essentially, you can create your own roster of professional athletes from any team across the sport. So say you pick LeBron James and Steph Curry and then seven other players, that team that you've assembled will then compete against other fantasy teams. If the players you've selected do well in real life, your daily fantasy team does well, and you make money. Now, Adam got into daily fantasy sports for the same reason a lot of people did. He was a big sports fan, but he also thought he might have an edge for another reason. So I've been, for all intents and purposes, a gambler for 15 plus years. So I started playing poker when I was 15, 16 years old. So daily fantasy sports was right up my wheelhouse. I was like, this is gonna be awesome. I know every player on every team, I'm gonna crush this. So I ended up depositing about $3,000 on the two major sites, FanDuel and DraftKings, and lo and behold, never came close to winning any money. I got killed. I did some research and quickly realized I was not the only one. In fact, the biggest pain point for, these, for this industry is that about 2% of users account for winning over 90% of the money. At Thrive, we are focused on shifting the power paradigm to the masses and away from the elite. The way we've done this is we solely incorporate top-tier athletes in our contests so the casual fan doesn't have to research every player on every team and doesn't feel like they're getting taken advantage of. By tweaking the rules of the game, 
Adam says he can give casual daily fantasy sports players a much better shot to win. See, on platforms like DraftKings or FanDuel, you have to choose your players from a pool of all the players playing on a given day. The problem is, that could be hundreds. So the advantage goes to bettors who have a lot of time to do the research. In other words, professionals. But on Thrive, Adam limits the number of players to choose from to about 20. And here's the real twist. You're not picking a player and betting on their entire performance. You're actually just picking something called a prop bet. And a prop bet is a simple yes or no bet about an individual player. Whether or not LeBron James will go for over 25 and a half total points tonight, or Tom Brady, will he go for over 300 passing yards? So re again, really easy and it's a different experience. We launched about six months ago and finalized about over $150,000 in total entry fees. We are now raising our seed round of a million dollars in order to ramp up during NFL and NBA season. Can you just kind of reestablish again for us what's the edge that you have? What's the secret sauce? What are you doing? Uh, you seem to be trying to say that you're going to be making and more likely for me to make money uh, using you instead of like DraftKings or? Sure. So essentially, DraftKings asks you to know every player on every team. What we do is we only ask you about 20 to 40 top-tier athletes in a given sport in a given night. So theoretically, the algorithms won't be able to compute all these combinations and give you as big of an edge. So we'll give you a list of 20 players, 10, uh, 20 singular binary propositions, over-unders on 20 different players. So theoretically, you'll have a much better chance against a pro if I only ask you about 20 players as opposed to 5,000. So you're trying to say, hey, look, so your value proposition is uh, come on to our... Uh fantasy gambling site because you're more likely to win and you're paying the same rates anyways. Correct. And another big differentiator is prop bets, I believe, and a lot of people believe are the future. It's a completely different experience, completely but, different But sweat. just to be clear, you're not boiling the ocean or splitting the atom here. All you're saying is that you're just taking the top players and combining it. Like, why couldn't DraftKings or somebody else just say, hey, yeah, so we offer this version as well? Like, it just sure. seems like such a very, very small pivot. Yeah, so the, that's the biggest question we get from potential investors and the attrition rate at DraftKings and FanDuel right now is at an all-time high. We think that we can keep those customers for longer and spend more money. Daily Fantasy Sports is obviously a massive uh, part of their ecosystem and their structure, but we don't think that they want to cannibalize their existing revenue or their user base by saying, hey, we already know what these guys are spending. We don't want to just create a whole new game style and concept where they might be just eating at that current user base. I'm level. just not understanding how you're saying more people are going to win Correct. bets. How is, walk me through that. So, so it's, it's user versus user. Right. So instead of 2% winning 90% of the money on our site, we're seeing right now that the skew is much closer to the normal bell curve. So for instance, 8% will start winning 75% of the money. Adam's argument is that he'll be able to attract the people who've lost money on DraftKings, but who still want to play daily fantasy sports if they can find a place where they have better odds of winning. For whom in the skill distribution is this a good product? I play a lot of daily fantasy, nice. best ball, season long, all kinds of things. Like where in that skill distribution is your target customer? So it's definitely still a lot of skill. So you need to be knowledgeable. It's not for the, hey, I just started watching NBA last week, but it's for that guy who knows most of the players. And in order to play on our site, it's much easier. So if you're an NFL guy, and that's pretty much all, all you know, you'll be a lot more skeptical on DraftKings and FanDuel to enter the NBA contest. On ours, we're only asking about the Kevin Durant or Steph Curry's or LeBron James's. 
you'll be a lot more confident at least giving this a try. My experience playing on a bunch of other platforms is you get these pockets of, we'll call them lower quality, lower skill players. Yep. And then like wolves, yep. the people who have skill, yep. end up going there and basically turning those places into the same place that DraftKings and FanDuel feel sure. like. How does that not happen in this? So those sites you're alluding to, I know, I know every and all of them. Mm-hmm. They are theoretically the same type of concept. If I'm making this algorithm for DraftKings, it makes the same exact type of algorithm for X, Y, and Z company. Mm-hmm. On ours, we're only asking you about 20 athletes. So again, your algorithms, sure, will give you an edge, but not nearly as big of an edge on our concept and our game flow as it would on these others. So I promise you this makes a lot more sense for the casual fan to be able to engage and compete. So what I'm really betting on is that your format is durable. And, and the experience. Would, the experience. Prop, prop bets are a completely different sweat. Right. Well, we're we're the largest investors in DraftKings uh, accomplices. My partner Ryan Moore. So, so I know, I know a lot about this. Sure. One other thing related to what Charles just said is that, you know, how how do you kind of police the platform? And you mentioned using algorithms to make sure that things are fair, or that you don't have the wolves coming in and hunting. That is a really hard problem. So I guess I'm having trouble seeing how you guys will build an algorithm that can solve that same problem without the resources. Well, we're not building the algorithm. It's just inherently the game flow does not give the sharks as big of an edge. If they didn't have an edge, then it would not be considered daily fantasy sports because it wouldn't be a game of skill. But we're just trying to shift that skill more towards the normalized bell curve than it is right now. So why do you think that hasn't happened? Why do you think the the big boys aren't doing what you're doing? Because this pivot is not rocket science. They have other... They have a because ton of different things that they're but, looking but into. Well, hold on. Your theory is that people will really gravitate towards what you're doing and not towards them because you're almost saying that it's uniquely unfair where this little, little top of the pyramid's getting everything, but yours, it's more broadly spread. So yours is a more fair and people should rush to it, right? So again, what we're looking to do is there will be skill. There will be the same players who are winning at a consistent level on our site. It just won't be as drastic of a number. But they, DraftKings raised $750 million. So for us to even compare apples and apples to apples is, is unfair to, to what we're, we're looking to do. I, I'll make that comparison now and just say that this is a pass for me, given my relationship with DraftKings. Sure. I completely respect. You have obvious passion for what you're talking about. I mean, the way you're just like rattling off stats. I mean, that speaks volumes. I really respect that. So best of luck. Appreciate it. Sarah is out, given her investment in the very competitor that drove Adam to start Thrive Fantasy in the first place. But the other investors are just digging in. When we come back, things start to get testy. If they love what you're doing, will they give you money? Will they invest in this round? Absolutely not. Then they don't love what you're doing. They absolutely do. No, they don't. This episode of The Pitch is brought to you exclusively by State Farm. We talk to a lot of entrepreneurs on the show, and one thread that connects them all, they're not just pitching their business, they're pitching themselves. Because small business owners know that their business is more than just a company, it's their whole life. And State Farm gets that. State Farm agents are small business owners too, 
and they know what it takes. They can help you choose personalized policies to fit your budget. That's the personal touch. That's small business insurance from State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Welcome back. I'm just going to say what you're probably already thinking. This pitch hasn't been going very well. The investors are having a hard time understanding what makes Thrive different from other daily fantasy sports platforms. And if it's that different and it's offering something that people are looking for, why wouldn't one of their massive competitors swoop in and crush Thrive with a prop bet feature of their own? It could come down to how big of a head start Thrive can get on the prop bet market. Here's Phil. How many active users do you have? Yeah, so we have about 8,000 downloads and about a couple hundred daily actives. How are you marketing the company? Sure, so right now it's all organic social. So most of the money that we're raising is to do for paid social. And we have these relationships, it's called, the pros are called touts. So we have these relationships with these touts. They love what we're doing. It's just, we're a little too early for them in terms of the prize pools for them to really push us and market us. What's your plan for paid customer acquisition? Most of the engagement is on Twitter. Uh, We would be spending some money on that. But first and foremost, we have these relationships with these guys who already have the user base. We need to pay them a small monetary fee, either per user signup slash deposit, or just like a, a monthly recurring rate. And that can expedite our user base and go to market. So that's really sort of the, quickly. the equivalent of like influencer marketing. Exactly. These are and these are the guys who are spending the money also on DraftKings and Phantom. Not only do they have the people coming to them for tips, but these are the guys who are spending 10, 15, 20K a night. Walk us through the journey of the million dollars. Let's say we, us sure. four, we put, in the, we put in the million bucks. What happens to that money? What valuation? Sure. How far does it take Yeah, you? so we're raising one out of four pre. Our burn rate right now is about 13 to 14K. I haven't paid myself in two years. Um, 13 to 14K a month. Yeah. Okay. Which is like zero in right. a tech startup in New York City. From today, how long does that take you? The million? Mm-hmm. Eight, we could be profitable with that. And we believe at least 18 months. Seems a little optimistic. I mean, it sounds like your business would take a lot more money in marketing. How come it's so little? So we believe about 40 to 50K a month uh, in marketing would make us 10x at least of what we're doing right now. And again, our burn rate is so low. I'm not, you said your fees right now are 150000 a year? No, we we just passed the $150,000 mark in total entry fees. In how long? About six months. So I'm going to pass. This is a tough one because I like the format. I think um, as someone who plays these games a lot, I do think that we need more format novelty. I think um, there's opportunity to build new products. The thing I can't get over is everyone I've met who's tried to do a new format eventually runs into the paid acquisition monster, and it just ends up being really, really expensive. I, I honestly believe you're right. I think you will have a more distributed winner winner tier than the other sites. I don't know if it'll be sufficiently distributed, though, to make it feel really fair to the average player. So I hope you're successful, and I hope that I get a chance to play, play with the product and put a little bit of money on it, but uh, I'm going to pass on investing for now. Yeah, you're definitely passionate about this space and um, and and knowledgeable about it. I feel the opposite way from Charles in that I don't feel that the format is enough of a differentiator 
And I don't think it's that difficult for another company to either replicate it or, or to pivot themselves. And you really don't have the metrics yet. I like to see some early indication that there's a scalable paid acquisition channel, and that's not there quite yet. So because of the, the, the format and because it's early in terms of paid acquisition, I'm going to pass. Absolutely. I appreciate it. I do want to push back, though, for, this, for the sense that we know who we need to get to and how to get to them. We have those relationships already. I have the CEO of Guru Elite, Roto Grinders, these top guys. They love what we're doing. It's just not worth their time right now. With this raise, we can make bigger prize pools, and then they will come to us. If they love they what bring... you're doing, will they give you money? Will they invest in this round? Absolutely not. Then they don't love what you're doing. They absolutely do. No, they don't. They say that to you because they want to keep you in the warming pot. A lot of people tell people they love them, but love is if they're, they give you money. They're a content provider. Yeah, I know, but you know, it's it's really it's really easy to say I love you, baby. But it's it's much much harder to actually cut you a check. If they love what you're doing, people are greedy with their money. They would want to make money on it. But they have relationships with every every daily fantasy sports app. So mm -hmm. if they got in bed with us, they would not be able to do pretty much any content for any they, other. They, they'd find a way to feed you money. Look, at the end of the day. You know, um, I, I'm listening to this pitch, and my issue is I'm just not getting excited enough. I'm not getting – I, I want to feel the little bit of greed. I want to feel the excitement. I'm going to make some money here. I also think that uh, – I don't know a lot about gambling, but I think it's a racket, and I think it's a very, very high bar to get into this. And I think it's going to toss a lot of money to take uh, some uh, eyeballs away from the big boys. Adam, thank you. Thank you very thank much. You for coming. Thanks for coming. I oh, appreciate it. It was really nice to meet you. Nice yeah, meeting you. Thanks. Pleasure. Best of luck. Appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks, Rob. Good to see you. Let me know um, if you sign up. Yep. Well, he's a guy who obviously knows this business and uh, is passionate about it. But uh, Did you feel he was confident? As in uh, confident, like he really knew how to scale this thing? No. I felt he right. was confident he was about confident. his model, but I don't think he's confident about, in other words, about his format. I mean, the, the crappy thing as a player is if you find a format you like, you actually want to believe that, that the company that provides it will be around for a while. Otherwise, it goes away. And then, like, the thing that was fun, you can't play it anymore. Mm -hmm. So I think the natural order is that all of these formats need to be under big umbrella brands so that they can stick around. But the one thing he said that I agree with is if I were running one of the big daily fantasy sports sites, this prop betting thing would probably be a double-digit priority for me, like way down the list. But it doesn't mean they won't get to it eventually, and it doesn't mean that the right thing isn't Wait, for it to be well, housed. Why would it be a double? Why wouldn't it be a, a higher priority? There's so many other things you could work on in the core DFS game. So what gambling. that means is it's not that great of an idea, or it would oh. bubble up to the top of their priority list, right? Relative to the things I don't, yeah, relative to the other things they could be working yeah, on, right? Totally. I've seen a number of pitches that are similar to this, I think because we're in DraftKings and they all have this this same kind of chemistry of a founder who just like who's a player and they're a passionate player, but they're not a business person and they don't necessarily believe they don't see the steps to becoming venture scale. I think there's a big difference between 
being somebody who enjoys a pastime and being somebody who has a mission-driven sense of solving a problem. Mm -hmm. There wasn't a problem to be solved. There was a slight tweak and improvement to be gained. This guy isn't like going to sleep every night and like banging his head against the wall, freaking out that this doesn't exist. Like it's not paining him. Well, I just didn't see a way for me to make money. I mean, let's not forget that's what this is about. It's about us investing and making money. And I, I think that an entrepreneur has to come in here, get us excited about it and say, I mean, this is how I'm going to make you money. I, I guess this, I sum up with this pitch with, meh, meh. Yeah. So Michael may have felt that this pitch was just meh, but I wondered how an investor who really knows this space felt about it. After the break, we call up Sarah Downey. This episode of The Pitch is brought to you exclusively by State Farm. Small business owners know that it's not just business, it's personal. Your business is your life, and State Farm gets that. State Farm agents are small business owners too, so they know what it takes. They can help you create a personalized insurance plan that fits your small business needs and budget. And they live and work in your community. So you're not just getting an insurance plan, you're getting that personal touch. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Welcome back. Adam Weinstein's pitch didn't get any of our four investors excited. But Sarah Downey had a unique view of the deal, as she's already a major investor in DraftKings, one of the biggest names in daily fantasy sports. Producer Kareem Maddox called her up at her office in Boston. What jumped out at you about Adam Weinstein's pitch? I remember, so he seemed really uncomfortable, which is... It's pretty normal for a, a founder g giving a pitch, but he seemed particularly uncomfortable. <laughs> I felt like he, he started off nervous and then he ended defensive. And he also seemed pretty dismissive of the incumbents in the space, like DraftKings and FanDuel. And uh, I remember being a little miffed by that. Like he, he seemed pretty confident that he'd be able to do things that these like titans in the industry have done with insane capital and in struggle. So Adam's approach to addressing the competition kind of struck a chord for you. I think it's so dismissive as to show a lack of understanding for what it takes to become a company like that. You know, like, I just felt like, I mean, you're looking at companies who've raised hundreds of millions of dollars that are that are valued at over a billion dollars each with DraftKings and FanDuel, that have spent hundreds of million in advertising, that have hired some of the greatest analytical minds to run these companies, and you're just kind of shrugging it off like, whatever, I'm a guy with a team of like two people in New York and I can do this tomorrow. <laughs> like, it's just like, there's just like, Things are not aligning in that statement. Right. And then I remember him talking about, I, th I think, yeah, he, he took issue with the fact that he was saying only a small number of people on DraftKings and FanDuel's platforms consistently win. Yeah, he said it's 2%. 2% of users account for winning over 90% of the money was his stat. I 
Yeah, my my biggest takeaway was this feels like a feature that DraftKings or FanDuel can turn on in a month or less. Like, if DraftKings wanted to make it so that it was easier to win, they could create challenges and lower the bar that would make it easier for people to win. Right. Well, let's assume that users do like the Thrive Fantasy platform and they like the format, this prop bet format and that gameplay, and they do feel like they have a better shot of winning. Do you think that if DraftKings or FanDuel introduces that, that that is necessarily a death sentence for Thrive? It's it's never a guaranteed death sentence, but it's not good for them. I mean, what this is a battle to acquire users, right? They're, DraftKings and FanDuel have a storied history of battling each other and throwing money at user acquisition to outpace each other in growth. And everyone is competing to uh, to get people hooked right now. Right. So, you know, I think Adam is determined to see this company through to the end. Um, what advice would you give him? I'd say you can't have a flippant attitude that you'll just go out and you'll find users or they'll find you. It's, it's not easy. It is a grind. It is extremely hard to get people using a platform that is new and sticking with that platform. I think he really just needs to delve into the fundamentals of what will make this a good business. He, he, his focus is way too much on the, the, the app itself and what the features will be. It needs to be a lot more around making this work as a business. One of the things you're looking for in a founder is is ability to listen and adapt. I mean, it's just you're getting into a relationship with somebody where you're expecting them to be honest about issues because they're close to the business and you're not as an investor. So you, you need to trust them to bring problems to you so that you can fix them before they're unfixable. And with somebody who gets really defensive about criticisms and doesn't have the answer to how this is going to be a big business or how they're going to acquire users, you just don't trust that when shit hits the fan, they're, they're going to be honest or helpful with you. We called up Adam and shared some of the investors' thoughts. He told us that his company is growing slowly, but surely. But at the end of the day, he and the investors just don't agree. I think that they are believing that I'm trying to compete with the FanDuel and DraftKings of the world, um, which is just not the case, right? They raised half a billion and and $700 million uh, each. So... We're not looking to scale and become a sports book with doing 500 million a year in revenue. We want to keep this small, and if we can get this thing to a million, two million, three million a year in handle, then we're going to be profitable. Our burn rate is so low that we're staying afloat. Um, we we can still slowly but surely go at a tortoise's pace in order to to grow this thing. So, uh, if any small business was drastically worried about a a bigger company doing what they did, then they wouldn't start to begin with. I feel like if I was in your shoes, I would just be nervous. That feels like it would be a big moment. Like if, you know, it it feels like you're just like kind of waiting and and kind of hoping that they don't unveil like a same kind of format of play. (laughs) That wouldn't be, again, that wouldn't be something that we're happy about, but 
that doesn't mean that we're we're over. Okay. Uh, cool. Cool. Um, so you said you had two hundred thousand committed as of now um, towards your one million dollar round. Uh, how is the round going? Yeah. So when I came on to the show, our numbers weren't nearly as good as they are now. Um, numbers don't lie. So uh, we believe we'll be closing this round in the next four to six weeks. Uh, we have a lot of uh, investors, uh, we believe, on the five yard line. So uh, w- once that first lead comes in for a couple hundred, for two, three hundred, then uh, we're, we're extraordinarily confident that this thing will be closed pretty quickly. If raising money was easy, then everybody would create their own startup and be doing this business. So I get it. Um, a lot of people don't understand or don't really believe in our thought process or, or our marketing strat, and that's fine. Um, and if I took every no as, as a shot to the face or a shot to the gut, then I would have uh, fell a long time ago. So uh, we're, we're here. We're here for the long haul. You know, I'm not here to call balls and strikes, but this might be a case where the founder is really excited about building a thing that just isn't big enough for venture capitalists. Because when VCs invest, they invest thinking that the company is going to hit it out of the park, which means Adam needs to find a different kind of investor, one who's happy with a hard hit line drive for a double. Our show is hosted by me, Josh Muccio, produced by Kareem Maddox, Heather Rogers, and Molly Donahue. We are edited by Blythe Terrell and Devin Taylor. Theme music in this episode by The Muse Maker, original compositions from Breakmaster Cylinder and The Muse Maker. We are mixed by Enoch Kim. Lisa Muccio planned the recording of this pitch, and this is our disclaimer. No offer to invest is being made to or solicited from the listening audience on today's show. You can find more episodes of our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. All right, you've been listening to The Pitch from Gimlet. We'll be back with a brand new episode next Wednesday. This episode of The Pitch is brought to you exclusively by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business, it's your life. And whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's where State Farm Small Business Insurance comes in. State Farm agents are small business owners themselves, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today.